This is Docs in the Box podcast. A podcast about medicine, muscles, and more through the eyes of two physiatrists. I'm Dr. Amy West. And I'm Dr. Matthew Cowling. All right, guys, welcome to Docs in the Box podcast. Today I have Scott and Shaka Gillen, um, two physicians. Uh, Shaka is a pediatrician and Scott is an anesthesiologist. Um, they have created a super cool company that provides point of care lipid testing and hemoglobin A1C called the Warrior Clinic, also very involved with CrossFit Health. We've got a ton of awesome stuff I want to talk to them about today. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Hi, guys. Thanks for Hi. having us. Hey, so I'm super excited. I want to talk about the Warrior Clinic a little bit because... Um, it, like I said, it provides point of care testing. And that's something that's really important for people um, who don't go to the doctor or don't have access, right? So can you talk about how you started the Warrior Clinic and why? Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with that part. So Shaka and I, you know, we've been involved in CrossFit for a while. And, um, you know, was, you know, being physicians as you guys are, we're sort of looking at the state of health in the country and it's headed in the wrong direction. And, you know, as much as we love our professions and, and, and most physicians on an individual basis work really, really hard to do things for their individual patients, there's obviously a systems-wide error in, in what's happening because the country's getting uh, more unhealthy and, and um, you know, the, the physicians are not really armed to do what's necessary to um, inform people you know, both about why they're unhealthy, as well as, you know, direct them to make the changes necessary. And, you know, we um, were always talking about chronic disease. And, you know, in the L1 is the, uh, you know, fitness, wellness, sickness curve. And if you look at the, uh, the metrics on it, that clearly, um, you know, go from if you're sick, to if you're well, to if you're fit, you look at these metrics, I'm like, we keep talking about A1C, but newsflash, people don't even know their A1C. Even if they think they go to the doctor, they go to the doctor and most people just get a glucose check. You know, if the, the current indications are still, if you're, you get an A1C check, the indication is, is if you're over 40 and obese. So if you're, you know, 28, if you're 35, or if you're a normal weight, then you end up not getting an A1C check. You get a glucose check but you end up not getting the level. And I'll talk to people, I'm like, okay, so what's your A1C? They have no idea. So I'm like, look, why are we talking about such a major problem that it's you know, such a significant percentage of our population is either pre-diabetic or diabetic, and we know how to do something about it, but we don't even know if they're pre-diabetic or diabetic. So step one is finding out if you are. That's, that's really how like, we came up with it to go, hey, there's a need here. There's a, a, there's a need here, B, there's something we can do about it. And so being physicians, we knew that it wasn't being tested and people, oh, I, I've had my labs checked. You're like, no, you haven't. It's like, it's like when people all know, they think they all know their blood type, but we all know that you only get baby's blood type if mom's O or negative. So, right. And, and, um, you know, and I think that, you know, the, the sort of the numbers behind the point that Shaka made is that 30% of people are pre-diabetic in the US, but 90% of those people are unaware of it. So the current screening standards that we have are, are not adequately making people aware of that. You know, And the people who actually have full-blown diabetes, 
25% of those people are unaware that they're actually diabetic. So there, there's a big um, disconnect between the need for screening and testing and, and the fact of what's being done currently. Right. So, so for, those, for those of you guys that don't know, the hemoglobin A1C tracks the blood sugars over a three-month period rather than just getting a glucose, which is just showing, uh, you know, one specific point in time. And, and what they're saying is true. There's a lot of us running around, um, could be at the CrossFit gym, right? You could be at the gym working out thinking you're healthy, but you don't know unless you actually check the numbers. So that's why it's really important. And I have a ton of friends who are like, I'm not going to the doctor. I go to the gym all the time. Why do I need to go to the doctor? Why do I need to check? Well, the reason is because your diet could be off. You could be having these things and not even know about it. So it's super important. That's so well said. Weight in and of itself is not necessarily a, a marker of someone's health. There, it's it's much a little more complicated than that. Yeah. So I think it's like if it's so so perfect because I think if you're obese, I think it's like a rash where you can see it, and it's like okay, hey, we got a problem here. But if you're not obese, you still can have diabetes and pre-diabetes, especially like Matt mentioned too. So, so many people go to the gym or the box. There's so many people going to the box and they're working out. So they look good, but you know, how many times do we see like, okay, I went to work out and I'm going to go have my donuts. Well, you could look good. And we know that whole, like, um, you can't work it off. You can work off to look good, but you can't work off a bad diet. You just can't, you can look amazing, but it's going to catch up to you. Right. Um, also, what what other tests are included in your Warrior Clinic panel? What what could people expect to to see when they get their results? So, so we basically have two, um, we have three different tests, so two two different panels. Um, one of which is called the uh, Warrior Kit, which includes a hemoglobin A1C, which is a screening tool for you know your blood sugars over the past three months kind of have an average. Um, and then a lipid panel where we really focus on your triglycerides and your high density lipoproteins or what's known as your HDL and the ratio of those two, which also correlates very well with um, your body's levels of insulin and your risk of inflammation. And then we have a, a second test which includes those two tests and then also adds on um, the uh, it's called the C-reactive protein, which is a acute phase reactant, which uh, correlates very highly with inflammation and cardiovascular disease. And then the final test we do is a separate test, um, which is a fasting insulin level. Insulin is sort of a precursor to elevated, you know, problems with insulin, elevated insulin or a precursor to elevated blood sugars. So... Since you mentioned this, Scott, I want to talk about the triglyceride to HDL ratio, because that's something that Tom Siskron loves as well. And I, at first, will admit, I wasn't sure if I was on board with until I did a little more research. Um, so <laughs> you guys use that as a marker, and I know everybody wants to look at the LDL, right? The LDL is like the big thing. Even for me, I'm always looking at the LDL. And I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but there was this new article that came out in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, talking about saturated fat and LDL. This that's is very like, excited think, about it. I'm really, I'm hyped up about it, but it's from June, <laughs> it's pretty new, and it's talking about um, saturated fat, you know, not being as bad as we thought, which a lot of us have known for a long time, right? But other people haven't necessarily. Um, and saying there's really no reason to limit that. And although that can raise the LDL, it's mainly those, the um, larger particles, which aren't, you know, related to cardiovascular disease. And I know that when I've spoke with you guys in the past, you've talked about really not worrying too much about the LDL. So can you talk a little bit about that? 
Um, yeah, absolutely. So LDL is, um, you know, it stands for low density lipoprotein. Um, and, and actually it's very interesting because I, my basic thing, when I started doing CrossFit, I started to look at, you know, how to eat first off. And, and, you know, I started to figure as humans, we probably haven't changed genetically over a long time. So you try to look at what people would have eaten on the planet a long time ago, and it wasn't sugar and it wasn't packaged food and it wasn't processed food. Um, and similarly, every cell in our body, with the exception of a couple, make cholesterol and LDL is a very natural occurring uh, substance within our body. Um, and, you know, when, when they discovered in, in the like, you know, started doing um, autopsies on people who died of heart attacks and heart attacks started to show up in uh, the Western world along with, you know, more industrialized food and smoking, um, they noticed a lot of plaque in the vessels of arteries. And so they made the sophomoric assumption that because there's fat in the vessel walls, that fat must be bad. And uh, since that time, you know, subsequently medicines called the statins came along, which could lower LDL. And um, then the new class of medicines, the PCSK9 inhibitors came along, which can lower it even more. And those, um, you know, so, so there is this, uh, you know, whole thing that, okay, let's try to push our LDL to zero. But we have to go back to the basic point that our body makes LDL. So it must be there for a reason. The body doesn't make anything by accident. And, and LDL actually has a very strong role in our immune system. And if, and, 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 and if you look at the benefits that it has, especially in elderly people, it's, it's a very protective molecule. So, so we've sort of been misled on that um, line of thinking for a long time. Um, uh, triglycerides, on the other hand, are very highly correlated with inflammation. Um, and high triglyceride levels, I think, you know, you can get people from the I love LDL, I hate LDL camps, and everybody's going to agree that triglycerides and elevated triglycerides are bad. Um, and then HDL, I mean, all these uh, different uh, molecules are, are, you know, somewhat complicated because uh, there's sort of subsets of them all. But HDL is sort of thought as the uh, cholesterol particles, which take or the carry. They're really, they're really, they're not really cholesterol. They carry cholesterol around the body, LDL and HDL, and the HDL is the um, particles that sort of carry the cholesterol from our body, the excess cholesterol, back to the liver to be processed and removed. Um, and LDL is the one that sort of carries it out to the cells. Um, and, and so elevated HDL, you know, within reason, but is felt to be healthy. And there's very, very strong evidence that the ratio of triglycerides to HDL is one of the greatest predictors of your risk for cardiovascular mortality. It's probably, if you just had to pick one test that would be it. And then, um, you know, fasting and low fasting insulin levels would be a close second, you know, and the, the test that we picked for the warrior clinic, you know, cause you can go to like a naturopath doctor and they'll order 5,000 different labs on you and say, Oh yeah, adjust this, adjust that, adjust the other. But in reality, most of those things aren't going to really have a change in your health or all of those things will be self-corrected on their own. If you have a low fasting insulin, and you have a low ratio of triglycerides to HDL. It's actually a really good point. It's why we, you know, picked just such the the tests we did um, with the lipids. And when you get your results back, you know, we actually gray out the LDL. Um, and yeah, so well, you can talk about that in a sec. But then that, what I was going to say is though, is that just with that and the A1C, that's where the big money is. And we also wanted it to be something that again that's that's where we feel like 
the, the, the importance is. Not like 17 tests for $400. I mean, the test is so affordable. You could do it at home. There's like almost no excuse to be, I mean, the only excuse is you just don't want an excuse to stop eating ice cream, right? Like you're like, I don't wanna know because I love my donuts. So it's, you know, the only excuse is that you wanna to continue to be unhealthy, right? Um, I mean, I, and we could talk about this in a little bit, but like the, it's so, well, I'll start say it now, it's so relevant right now with COVID. I mean, it couldn't be a bigger eye opener is, you know, if you want to be, the, the biggest immunity you have is to not have chronic disease. And so sitting around here not knowing your tests, you don't know. And again, like Scott said, it's, we could put, you know, 15 other tests in there. They just don't, they're not as meaningful. These are the tests that really are important. Yeah, and there's no, no added value because the, an, another point to make about LDL is there's different particle sizes, big, big LDL, the big fluffy white clouds in the sky LDLs, which are good. Um, and then small particles of LDL, which are the ones that tend to get trapped in vessel walls and uh, have a correlation with atherosclerosis. So we don't even give a range on the Warrior Clinic. We give you your LDL and your total cholesterol because they're run as part of the test. So we give you those numbers. But, you know, going back 50 years ago, it was a total cholesterol of less than 250. And they keep pushing the numbers lower and lower and lower because they can lower cholesterol with medication so they, they've said this is healthy but there's never actually been any studies which prove lower cholesterols lower cardiovascular disease um strokes or mortality and um you know there there are tests that you can do for the subparticle sizes of ldl which we thought about adding on um but it, again if you have a low triglyceride and a high hdl so you have a low triglyceride to hdl ratio then you have the right type of LDL particles. They, they, they correlate. So if you can really just stay focused on the numbers of that ratio, and, and it will answer your question in terms of what subparticle types you have around. If, if you have high triglycerides and a low HCL, you're gonna have the wrong type of LDL in your body. And conversely, if you have low triglycerides and a high HDL, you're gonna have um, the correct type of LDLs. And, and as you do that more and as you eat more fat, people's LDL levels tend to increase a little bit, but the, the, for, for most people, um, they'll, they'll increase by about 20. For, so if you say your normal LDLs were 100 to 120, they'll go up to 120 or 140. And, and normally, the, the only time that people start to pay attention to LDL is when it gets over 200, because that's when it starts to be correlated a little bit with familial hypercholesterolemia. Um, and so then you may want to see somebody who's a cholesterol expert and I'm still not even sure there's a lot of people with familial hypercholesteremia who have LDL levels and total cholesterols that are just through the roof and have coronary scans and have completely clean healthy coronaries as long as they have a healthy lifestyle and don't have other markers of inflammation in their body. So it's not a direct, oh, if your cholesterol or your LDL levels are this number you're going to automatically die of cardiovascular disease. And there's actually a lot of cases that show that that's, I mean, more, it's, it's more the rule than the exception that you're going to be fine. Yeah. And I think it's important uh, to, to make note also that it's one thing to have the numbers, but it's another thing to know what to do with them. Right. So um, in the reports that you give the people who order your tests, can you explain a little bit sort of what, what kind of information they receive other than just the numbers themselves? I mean, I'll give a little bit. I can, um, 
So when they get the results, I think you guys have both seen it. You get the results and they're in, they're color coded. So green meaning it's in the normal range, yellow meaning you're borderline, red meaning that we've got a problem here. Um, and then the guidance that we give, there's some specific guidance and then some more general guidance as well. The specific is, you know, the first thing we really emphasize is that this is all reversible. And so, you know, if, again, if we gave you results and we're like, bummer for you, that's not something anybody wants to test. But the key is, is that every, so if you get a result that is, you know, pre-diabetic or diabetic, the most important part is to know that it's reversible. You know, great news, you caught it. Now let's make the changes. Um, and then we go through some of the, um, the, the things that you can do. And we actually give it in with the results um, and so it's, you know, diet is the biggest one. Um, and Scott can talk a little bit about the diet. Now we don't, we're, we do the lab testing and we don't do, we're not having the portion of being the dietitian or, um, you know, or we really, that work then will need to be done, um, with whoever you're working with. And so for in the box, it's going to be your, um, your affiliate or your trainer right? They're the ones who are going to help guide you. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a box that has a Dr. Cowling, then it's going to be Dr. Cowling who's going to help you through it. Because it's not, like I can't just say stop eating sugar, which is really the biggest advice. Um, some of the information is actually available to everybody on the website um, for yeah. you. Want to sort of the basics, you know, obviously that we, we give a lot of guidance on, on the basics of nutrition, which is that you know, sugar and processed carbs are are they're really if you get rid of those and they've actually done several studies. Um, that that uh, you know Robert Lessig's group out of out of San Francisco and then David Schwimmer out of um, San Diego who are both pediatric endocrinologists. They both did like a six to eight week study with families where they went into their houses and they just cleaned the cabinet of all processed carbs and sugar and they still fed the people. You know, the people still were eating carbohydrates, but they were just eating normal food, healthy food. All the meals for the whole families were sent to them. And the metabolic markers for everybody in the families, you know, corrected within a matter of weeks. Um, and, you know, so that study has been repeated, um, you know, by the group in San Diego after, the, you know, like probably I think about a decade after the group in San Francisco did it. Um, so really the, the, the most basic, um, excuse me, nutritional advice that, that, you know, we believe in is to, you know, avoid sugar and processed carbohydrates. And then secondarily is to, you know, eat where, you know, by, I mean, my nutritional advice to anybody is to eat uh, real food, whole food, eat two to three meals a day and no more than a 12 hour window and try to avoid snacking. But if you have to snack, eat, eat nuts um, and, and a limited amount of them. But as far as more specific nutritional advice, you know, we really believe that people, it's hard to just look at an app or do something online. It's really just like getting fit. You know, I, I do a lot more job of, of, of breaking a sweat and passing out on the floor if I go to a CrossFit workout than if I take myself to uh, the Globo gym and say, all right, I'm gonna go hard today. And, and really it's the same with nutrition, um, that the people, you know, because chronic disease is both preventable and reversible, people are empowered to make changes in their health. They don't have to live on medication the whole time. It's not some genetic uh, predisposition they have that they're powerless over. 
Um, but, but then, you know, the second half of that, you know, is you are empowered to do something about it, but then you have to become accountable for your own behaviors and actions. And that's where it helps to have some sort of external source. So some boxes, you know, work with nutritional companies. We've done a lot of work with, um, healthy sports nutrition and Nicola Khan. Um, and, you know, she's done a lot of work helping with the nutritional advice, um, for, for CrossFit itself. And, you know, so people don't know or they don't have something in their box, I would recommend looking up Healthy Steps Nutrition and you can sign up for that just as an individual. But but they also work with a lot of affiliates to have a structured nutritional program, which I think is a highly added value for any both any affiliate as well as the members of that affiliate to use. Because we've been, I, I mean, we're all physicians and you know what it's like when you walk in a grocery store, you're like, what do I eat? What should I get? Is this healthy? Is this not healthy? Uh, what am I supposed to do again? And it's like walking into Vegas. I always say this, you know, you say, I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to gamble. I'm not going to womanize. And then, you know, you've all seen hangover one, two, and three. You're like, what happened? And grocery stores are the same way. You don't stand a fighting chance going into a grocery store unless you have a fixed plan um, because they're set up in ways to, to, you know, work on our psychological triggers for things that, you know, make us feel good and sugar and carbohydrates release dopamine they give us a rush and 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 so they're really dangerous foods and and unless you have a structured program and and are accountable with what you're eating it's really really challenging to eat healthy i do um two big things the first one is i do for all my patients is i ask them to cut out the sugar and the processed foods. Those are the two things that Scott mentioned as well. And it's on the website. And I actually talk to all my kids as a practicing pediatrician from the start. I've always said, you know, stop all the sugar and the, you know, limit the sugar and the processed foods. And the, the biggest way I asked my patients to do it is to, first of all, get rid of everything that you don't care about. So if you don't really care about cereal, why are you eating it? If it's, if you're not jonesing for it, that's an easy one to get rid of. And the second one, which is, the, the biggest amount of sugar that we actually get is through liquid sugar, is through beverages. And so by drinking just water is just make that choice. Now that may be enough for a lot of people. So some, a lot of people may just be like, okay, look, I got rid of all the, you know, the Powerade, Gatorade, whatever it is, and the, the juice and the, the extra drinks. And I've been eating ice cream every day and I got rid of that. And then they can recheck their A1C, their lipids, and that may be it. But then for, the rest of the people, like, again, if you have somebody like, um, like Matt, or if you have um, in your box, but otherwise, I think Scott brought out a really good point about Nicole. She's amazing. And, you know, they work with individuals as well as boxes. So if, you know, as we continue to move forward into um, really treating health, not just, this is not just, this is not a fitness, it's health, is um, Nicole's a great resource for boxes to really look into. And, and I agree. Really, I think, go ahead. I think having somebody like uh, Nicole is an awesome resource. And one thing that I really like about the setup that you guys have is as a physician working in the gym, it's really important to me to, you know, be very clear about what my role is at the gym and what my role is, you know, as a physician at my job in terms of interpreting um, and giving advice. And we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but when you guys order the test, who's responsible for the results? So is it, let's say it's somebody like me who's a physician at the gym and then they get a test through Warrior Clinic. Is that like me ordering a normal lab test for a patient or is that different? No, it's a really good question. And it's a, we, one of the reasons why we came up with this sort of, of 
um, the company is because all of that responsibility um, is not, it's, it's with us, it's not in your hands. So it's directly from the client, orders it online. So I'm gonna go through the process. You, you know, and, and Matt you, and Amy, you guys already know the process, but you order it on, online, we mail you the kit, you poke your finger, which is so easy, and if you can't, you can get a friend to do it. Um, and, and then if you really can't, we also have the option that you can go to the lab um, if, if, that's, if that's a concern. You mail it back, and then um, the lab gets, um, you know, we run the lab and you get the, the results to your, um, to your account and um, you get to look up your results on your account. You can share that with your coach as a client. You can share it with your physician, but due to privacy, um, all of that, it's directly the relationship is between the client and us. And the great thing about that is it doesn't put any liability on the box. So if you're an affiliate, so thank you, thank you so much for bringing that up because I know a lot of boxes don't want to have that liability. They shouldn't. And so that completely removes the box from any liability for physicians or anything like that. It's all us. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk about that because I think that's really important, especially for people who, you know, are worried about blurring that line. It, it's very clear cut and we use it, um, you know, for our members at the gym um, and, and really like it. Another thing that I wanted to hit on was um, when I saw my PCP for my annual physical two years ago, he did a lipid panel. My lipid panel looked great. I came back the next year and I said, hey, I'm wondering if we could do another lipid panel. And he said, I mean, I'll do it for you if you want. But your other lipid panel, one, looked great. You're never going to die of cardiovascular disease. And two, your insurance isn't going to pay for it. So it's going to be out of pocket. So he said, you know, if you want to pay, you know, X amount of dollars, which I think was actually ridiculous. It was at least a few hundred dollars for this lipid panel. Um, then I'll do it for you. And now the test that you guys offer is like 50 bucks, right? For the, yeah. for the basic package. It's $59. And so, I mean, it's like less than a family going out to dinner. And so... It's just, we, and we really did that. We made it so affordable. I'll tell you that people were like, you have to charge more. That's too low. But we just actually want people to be healthy. Like that's the whole goal of this is to, we, we want to, you know, revolutionize the, the idea that people can take this, that chronic disease is the base problem. Again, 70% of deaths in the United States are from chronic disease. And it's something that is reversible, preventable. Everybody can take this into their own hands. And so again, Matt, thank you for you guys bringing it up. It's $59. You do it at home. And like you said, so if I were to order it in the lab as a physician, it's going to be, first of all, it's going to be the copay to go to your doctor. It's going to be the, the amount that it costs you to go to your doctor. And then it's going to be a couple hundred dollars to get the same test, right? So this is, I mean, $59 is close to a copay max, right? There's no, there's no excuse other than the fact that you just really want to not be better. And that, that will catch up to you, especially right now. I mean, when you read every news story that says, you know, 95 to 99% of COVID deaths are from in people with chronic disease. It's in diabetes, hypertension, obesity. So we, we can prevent and reverse diabetes and hypertension. Yeah. And being that you're a pediatrician, I'm sure you're starting to see a lot of these conditions in people, younger and younger people. Can you speak to, um, in your practice, the, what you're seeing in, in, in young kids um, with, with dealing with chronic disease? 
Yeah, so it, like you said, it's getting younger and younger. So we have five-year-olds with diabetes, five-year-olds who have you know, significant obesity. And it's a really very delicate topic because a lot of times um, parents just want to hear that they're big boned. And, you know, kids aren't, they're not big boned. You, you know, if you, it, it, and it almost doesn't even depend on what you see in the growth chart. Because a lot of people say, okay, well, the BMI, you don't look at the BMI. You know what? Great. Just look at what you're eating. Kids cannot, kids from the start, and we've, you know, I've talked about this a lot where the traditionally, what we recommend as pediatricians is to start kids, just their first food would be rice cereal or some cereal. And that doesn't make any sense, like packaged carbs. Like who would give that to a child as a first food? Well, I'll tell you who would give it to, I'm like me. I used to say that all the time to people. I just wasn't thinking. I wasn't actually like, I was just regurgitating what I heard from my academy or what everybody was doing. And so really when I took, with CrossFit, when I took a step back to listen to, hey, what, what, am I, what am I doing here? It made sense to me that there was no real reason to give you know, packaged food out of a box instead to give real foods. And then what I see is the kids going on and you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has really um, made like, you know, a 180 turn over the last couple of years and 180, 360, what do you call it? 360? 180. 180. Okay. Sorry. I'm not going to be. Give it long enough. It'll be 360. So, well, they, they made a, a, a good turn in the right direction. And, you know, they've now um, really looked at an American Heart Association as well, saying that we really have to limit the sugars for kids. They say, you know, no added sugars in the first two years. And that's a big, bold statement. And I love it because, you know, the first two years include that first birthday. And so it's nice that they're saying, you know, don't do any added sugars, get rid of the juice because it's, it's, you can go through a kid's day and start with cereal, then have juice, then have, you know, crackers, which are just carbs, followed by a Gatorade, um, a granola bar, and these squeezy things, pouches, and then you haven't even hit dessert yet. And so we're hitting, you know, you could hit 200 grams of sugar when in adults we're asking for less than 25 grams of added sugar. And you see where the problem is. The problem isn't even with the birthday party cake. That's not the problem. The problem is the daily sneaky, like everywhere, the, sh the, the juice, the, the extra processed carbs, that's where all of this sugar is coming from in the kids. It's no wonder. I mean, it's not surprising at all. And kids, I mean, a lot of kids, there's, there's a lot of kids that because of video games have sunk into the world of sedentism, which we can talk about in a second. But most kids are calorie burning machines. They're just move, move, move. And so, you know, you look at the kids and they're all skinny and, and um, just similar to the people that we talk about in the gym that say, oh, I don't need to check anything because I work out. But 40% of thin people are actually metabolically unhealthy. You know, there's sort of, you hear the terms thin on the outside, fat on the inside, a tofi or skinny fat. And, and what that really means is that, um, you know, people have prediabetes and possibly even diabetes um, and, and you get elevated liver enzymes and stuff from, from the inflammation that comes secondary to elevated insulin and, and just the chronic, you know, consumption of uh, the sugar and the processed foods. And we're doing the same thing to the kids. So, you know, you see a lot of kids that, that by the time they're in their early 20s, and their activity slows down a little bit when they hit college or something, um, they, they gain more than what used to be the freshman 15, you know, and it just sort of becomes a reinforcing pattern of, of lack of activity combined with, you know, 
you know, the, the weight starts to come on at that point, but the disease has really been present in these kids probably for at least a decade before that with the, you know, just the improper nutritional uh, choices. Yeah. And Shaka, I want to point out something that you said, because you, you spoke about how the Medi American Academy of Pediatrics has sort of made a turn in their recommendations. But up until that point, um, you had been essentially for falling in line with what they, what they recommended. And I think as CrossFit identifying physicians, um, we sort of share that common uh, goal. We sort, of, we sort of go against maybe what traditional um, medical recommendations may be. Um, and how, how do you manage that? And how do you kind of navigate that space of kind of going against maybe what's officially recommended versus what makes sense to you and for your patients? Well, you know, um, some things are easy. Like, you know, just from the start, I've always kind of given, I, what I'll do is I'll tell them these are the recommendations and then I'll give people the reason why I don't by, abide by those recommendations. So I've always kind of said, hey, at the two-year visit, just want you to know that the American Academy of Pediatrics wants you to go to low-fat milk now. And I, these are the reasons why I don't agree. I actually think you should continue with full-fat milk, regular, number one, it's less processed, number two. And this is what I've always said is, I'm not so really buying that the fat in your milk is the problem here, people. And so I think we're missing the point. Having said that, I mean, that was, I've always said that. And now I realize that it's not just that it's not the problem that it's the fat in the milk. It's we're missing the point on that. It's also that the fat in the milk is actually healthy for you, um, which is something I didn't really realize until I started diving in with our whole um, CrossFit health um, um, process. But I, I've always kind of just told them what the guidelines are, why I um, don't agree with whatever I'm telling them. I think it's important for patients to, instead of me just saying, hey, you know what, um, just continue on whole fat milk, they should understand that what I am saying is against that and why. Um, I, the other thing is for me, I mean, I've just gotten older, so I, I'm less nervous about going against the grain. And I've, I've just seen, so we all have through what the work we've done is that um, it's important to question. And you know, look at your, it's important to question what are we doing always? We always need to keep questioning. And I always ask today, like, what am I saying today that's going to change tomorrow? Um, how can I make a better um, decision or just improve um, what we're doing? Yeah. And I think, you know, we all remember this. They tell us in med school that, you know, half of what you learn is wrong. You just don't know which half. Um, and um, I think, though, that, that one of the tracks that we fall into as physicians is we're really taught a lot of stuff and we're taught to follow guidelines. Um, and, but at some point in that whole process of memorizing things and following guidelines, uh, it's easy to drift away from thinking and, and questioning. And, and a real scientist is always a skeptic. And, and you know, it's one of the true things that I can thank uh, Coach Glassman for in my own personal medical practice is that he really, in, in CrossFit Health, is pointing out the difference between modern science and postmodern science. You know, modern science was based on the, you know, whole idea of you come up with the hypothesis, you know, you run tests, you see if they support your hypothesis. If not, you know, you go back, you look at things, and then, and then you develop a new hypothesis and you run new experiments, you know, versus postmodern scientists, science is really, you know, consensus medicine. And it's like, well, Matt and Amy and Shaka and Scott said so, so we all agree on it. So this is the way it is, but we could be completely wrong or, or you know, have 
less less pure motives than just being purely wrong. And and those would be published out as guidelines. And and a lot of what has come to be um, the status quo within the healthcare system is is based on this consensus guidelines, which isn't actually real science. There's never actually a lot of scientific studies to back up a lot of the recommendations and guidelines that are given to us. And and so I think people need to be careful and also really figure out what was the information that was used to come up with these recommendations. Can I make a comment on, so like Amy, you said about, you know, going against the grain and so for critical thinking. And I think for, for me, it's applying right now to COVID. And I feel like, so I don't, every, every city is different, every county, but for me, you know, we were in San Diego and we have our county orders and, you know, every, every day is different to every, you know, month is different, but I find myself going, huh? I wait, like, as soon as I read something, if I, my gut feeling is like, this isn't making any sense to me. I have to ask and, and question it and question what's going on. What's the safest practice? You know, for us right now in San Diego, for a while there, the, our county order right now still is, is that you are not, um, we're still considered, um, um, in lockdown quarantine that you're not allowed to gather with anybody outside of your household. And then that's the first like paragraph. And then the second paragraph in the same order is you can go to restaurants as long as the reservation is made altogether. You're like, wait, so I can't go, I can't gather with anybody outside of my household, but we can all go to a restaurant together. This isn't making any sense to me. Like, which one is it? And so what it really is to me is like right now, you know, as people are like, okay, we're open, we're closed, we're open, closed. No, you know what it is to me is think about what you're going to do with your elderly and your chronic disease. Who is, who's at high risk and protect them, take care of them, figure out how you're going to keep them quarantined and isolated when COVID is rampant in your town, because it's going to come through. And when it does, like right now for in San Diego, the teenagers are all getting it. And you know what? I'm pretty sure the teenagers don't know how to, they just, they just don't know how to not get it. I mean, if you're taking care of a teenager, they all like, they're like magnets to each other. And they are, they absolutely don't listen to anything anyone says. And so what I really would like to do is protect my elderly and my chronic disease. And over the last three months, I would have liked to have during this time worked on chronic disease. So I think there's like question, you know, and we keep seeing those articles over and over again, 95% of, of mortality, 95%, 97%, 99%. So what are we doing for chronic disease while everybody's, at home, you know, what, what are we doing? And so those are like the approaches, just having um, a reasonable approach and asking the questions. I think all of us physicians should be asking the questions is what's the right thing to do right now with our patients with COVID. And it's gonna be different for Amy, it's gonna be different for Matt, it's gonna be different for me, because we're in three different cities. And that's, yeah. I think there's a big elephant in the room with, with what's going on with COVID. Is, is chronic disease because you know everybody who dies whether they're older or the younger people you know almost everybody but probably if you really look at it i could say probably everybody has some underlying chronic illness and if we had as a as a nation or as a world address nutrition and lifestyle when covid first came around people would be getting sick but we probably wouldn't have the the severity of illness that we have because the the real you know, COVID has just been a real highlighter of people who live in uh, 
you know, susceptible populations who have chronic disease. And, and, you know, as we've talked about earlier, those things are easily preventable and reversible. So, you know, COVID's going to pass, but there's going to be another pandemic probably in five years and five years after that and five years after that. And so I'm hoping that one of the take home lessons that we can have as a, as a society from this is that we can do things to decrease the likelihood of, of the, you know, tragedies that have come along with, with both, you know, the people getting sick from the illness as well as people being, you know, trapped in their houses for so long and having the, you know, financial insecurity and uh, just mental instability from living in, you know, pseudo solitary confinement. Yeah, that's a great point. And I just want to touch on this real quick uh, because uh, Shaka, I really, I really love this working with the youth is a huge thing because, you know, there's a, a certain period if we talk about fat cell hypertrophy or hyperplasia, hyperplasia being the growth of new cells. So there are times in your life when you're more susceptible to growing new fat cells and you really can't get rid of them. You can shrink them, but they don't go away. And one of the times that they can grow the most or you know, can add new cells the most is when you're younger, right? Yes. But that's also one of the times where you have almost zero control over your diet because your parents are selecting a lot of the foods that you eat. So if we really want to make a huge change in our population as we age, we need to start with the youth and what they're eating and stopping them from growing these new fat cells. I mean, so- 100%. I no, 100%. And also, so, so much of it, like number one, what you said, and it's not, the, the kids are, I always tell the parents, the kids, it's their job to ask for all this stuff. And it's our job to feed them the right foods. And I tell the kids that too, look, it's your job to say, hey, I want donuts, I want cookies, I want whatever it is that you want, I want Gatorade. And it's our job to go, great, that's not good for your body. That's not a growing food. And so um, number one, what you said is that that's the foundation, but it's also, it's the foundation in terms of eating habits. So what we what we seem to be doing is, you know, we buy all these foods, we meet parents buy all these foods, they stack their pantries with, they stock their pantries with all sorts of junk food. And then they tell their kids they can't eat it. Now, that's just setting them up for disappointment. It's setting them up to fail, right? And so it's really the responsibility is on the parents. Don't buy that food. Don't have it around. Don't be in constant battle. So then the question comes, well, you know, little Johnny's, the, the friends, they get to have it. And I so nicely tell them in the office, sweetheart, it's okay. Their parents don't know. Just you know, be nice to your friend that they don't, that their parents don't know that it's causing them to be sick, but like, we don't want to be too um, judgmental on them. Okay. They, thankfully your parents know what growing foods are. Try not to be too judgmental on your, on Johnny's family, because they, sometimes people don't know. That's literally what I tell them. Don't shame them or you won't be asked back over. <laughs> don't shame them and you ain't getting those Oreos because they weren't good for you. But Shaka tells her kids, but this is actually a great thing for adults to take an inventory on as well, is, is she has them sort of ask when they go to eat a food, is this a growing food or non-growing food? And she really emphasizes for them to have like one non-growing food a day. So, you know, it's easy, it's easy to, you know, have a donut for breakfast, some, some cookie after lunch, you know, some ice cream after dinner. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy to, to stack those at multiple different meals, but with that simple inventory, is this a growing food or not? You know, check yes or no. And then have I had one of these today or not? Yes or no. You know, that there's a way that you don't have to become this Puritan where, oh no, I can, this can never touch my lips, but, but things can be held in a proper proportion that, that, you know, really the addiction to sugar 
and and the excess consumption of it, you know, can be can be, you know, limited with with just a couple of easy questions. And Shaka, how do you how do you find time to have these discussions? Um, because I, I I struggle with addressing nutrition and lifestyle and exercise in a fifteen minute appointment, right? So how how do you how do you find time? What are your strategies for having these discussions and still, you know, being able to see other patients in the day? <laughs> Multitask. Um, no, I I actually get a little bit longer. I'm lucky that I have my own practice, and so I'll give. But it's you know, it's typically my appointments are just twenty to thirty minutes, and it's really the actually for the well child checks, the the checkups. It's the number one thing I talk about, and a lot of times I'm talking about it, you know, I can even do some of the exam while I'm talking about the growing food. So I don't have to take, you know, 10 minutes for the exam and then 10 minutes for talking about the growing food. But I actually don't know what there, what more important topic there is. So it's actually the, my number one topic. You know, I, I show the kids, the, the parents, the growth chart to make sure that they know that they're growing. And then I just dive straight into you know, are you guys, are, you're great, you're growing well. What, what foods are you eating to help you grow? And I think that's like more important than any other topic. So it's just the priority over there. I can't think of anything else I'd rather talk to the families about than that. Um, and then sometimes I'll do it during when I'm examining them as well. I do it every single checkup. Every checkup I talk about what they're eating. And, but, the, but the other thing about the growing food thing is the term for, for parents and for, for physicians is a growing food really gets away from the eating disorder. We're not talking about um, overweight. We're not talking about this is, you know, a bad food. It's a growing food and all kids need growing foods and we need, the, so are those the foods, those are the foods that help your body grow and stay healthy. And so a lot of, you know, a lot of parents will say, well, look, if I don't allow them to have any of it, then they'll have an eating disorder. I'm like, well, okay, first of all, letting kids have sugar all day long is not healthy eating to start out with. That's not a good relationship with food. Second of all, right, so if you, you know, have it in the pantry and then say you can't eat it, that's not a great food relationship. Um, a lot of it also comes from, again, that foundation of just having a good, healthy relationship with food. We don't talk about it all day long. We don't talk about our weight. We don't ask if we're, how we look in this dress type of thing. It's, there's a lot more to eating disorders than, um, you know, having our kids eat foods that were made in the earth, not in a factory. I mean, I, I, speaking from personal experience, I mean, as a, as a kid, all the, the menus and all the food that you're offered is like separate from what the adults are eating. And it's oh. this deep fried crap, which I then developed a quite the taste for uh, and probably ate exclusively chicken fingers until I was like, you know, 15. <laughs> and the next, you know, 15 years trying to undo that. Um, so... Yeah, I offer. What do you mean I can't order from the children's menu anymore? <laughs> so, okay, so, but the, the children's menu, like the vegetables, I would never eat that. Like, who in the, like, just feed your kids the food that you're eating. They want food with, with spices in it or, you know, flavoring. I would never eat just like, just throw like three carrots and three, two broccoli that are half done on my plate. I wouldn't be eating it, right? Like, give them food that you're eating. It tastes good for us. It's going to taste good for them. And another thing that, you know, we've gotten to in the society, and this I'm 100% certain was because the food industry came up with snack bars, is that we need three meals a day and three snacks a day. So you have oh. to constantly be pouring calories into your body, which, you know, 
when, when you get to the basic science of diabetes and hyperinsulinemia, you need periods of no food for your insulin levels to drop and for your body to use um, fat to mobilize things. And, and we're, we're taught now to be afraid of being hungry. And, you know, when Shaka was on the nutrition board at, at our son's school, you know, parents were up in arms if you took certain foods away because their kid was going to go hungry. And these kids are not going hungry. These kids could have lived for several weeks quite well with no, with no additional <laughs> food, you know, and it's hard to say that tactfully, but, you know, when, when I first started playing with different types of nutrition with CrossFit, you know, and I went, you know, low carb and this type of stuff, I also... Um, my, I was checking my ketones and my blood sugars, my sugars would still be elevated in the, in the mornings. And, and so I started to play around with intermittent fasting a little bit. And, and it's pretty amazing how it fixes the, the metabolism. But, you know, at first I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die. I need to eat something. Um, but you know, that's like a transient phenomenon with a hormone called ghrelin, which says time to eat. And then, you know, that level goes back down and then you forget about eating. So there's a big misconception that we need to constantly be like almost on a, on a TPN drip of constant calories coming into our body, um, which is, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. And, and I think that that's important to teach people as well is it's okay to be hungry now and then, you know, go run around, chew a piece of gum, go do something else. You'll forget about it. And, and you're going to be just fine. You're not going to like collapse out of, you know, lack of, of um, energy. Yeah, I love that point. And I, I want to plug this again. I know we talked about it in another podcast, but there's an article from December 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about intermittent fasting. It's a huge review. It's really good. They talk about multiple medical conditions and what intermittent fasting can do for it. In the end, they list out um, different protocols for intermittent fasting, like a prescription you can give to a patient. And there are several different ways that you can do it, whether it be eating one day and not eating the next or only eating in a six hour window. It just depends what works for them. But I highly encourage everybody to go out and check it out. It's awesome. Intermittent fasting is something that, um, like Scott said, everybody can do. It's, it's a lot of psychology involved with it, but um, it's definitely achievable for everybody and the health benefits are, there's, there's so many. And, and I'm 100% convinced it makes no difference how you do it. Um, you know, there, there's a recent study that showed if you just eat before sunrise and then you eat again after sunset, that it fixes your metabolic stuff. You know, other people eat in a, you know, eight hour or, or six hour window just during the day. Other people will like go, you know, eat one meal a day or one meal, you know, every 36 hours or, they'll, you know, do eat normal for a day or two and then go for a 36 hour window. They, they all do the same thing physiologically which is give your body a period of time without calories where your insulin levels decrease, which, um, you know, it, it does, you know, allows your body to then start to mobilize uh, fat, which, you know, I mean, people, you know, just like everything else on our body, cholesterol in our body and stuff, fat is not bad. Um, organ fat is put in our body because our insulin levels never go down and our body eventually doesn't have anywhere else to dispose of things. So it starts laying it everywhere is bad, but, but a little, a little tire around the belly is actually, you know, physiologically, it's there for a reason. It's our body's gas tank. You know, we go back, going back again, 20,000 years ago, you know, the, the herd would just chase down some buffaloes or something. They would get a kill. They would eat it. But obviously the rest of the herd didn't hang out saying, hey, kill us too. They moved on. And then people might have, you know, they didn't have refrigerators. They might have preserved some of the food, but they might have gone for a period of time, you know, maybe days or maybe even a little bit longer where they actually didn't have any food. And it was because they stored fat on their bodies that, that they um, were fine. 
and 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 I also really think humans physiologically are pretty similar to bears. If you look at when a lot of the fattening foods show up, they show up in the late summer, um, early fall, the different fruits and stuff. So when we lay those on, they, they're what lay fat on our bodies. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever watched that uh, thing on YouTube where you see the um, the the uh, bears up in Alaska in like June, and then you see them again in like August or September, and they have a contest to see who's going to put on the most weight and get the fattest. I forget what the YouTube channel is, but it's pretty amazing to see how these animals transform from from looking like they're just completely cachectic to being like morbidly obese. But but if you look at our physiology, we can really do the same thing. And back in the day, in the wintertime, there's less food around. And I think that humans probably put on a lot of weight and moved less in the wintertime and had extra fat to burn off, which is why we put it there. Um, so, so you know, we're meant to go for periods of time and, and we're designed to be just fine without bonking if, if you know, we're not um, dependent on insulin. I wanted to add that um, I think the intermittent fasting is such like a power tool. So for it's, you know, a lot of people have a really hard time making specific changes in their diet. And if they're kind of like, if you're at that, you're kind of stuck where you're, um, let's say your labs, your A1C, you're still pre-diabetic and you just don't know what to do. Um, intermittent fasting is pretty actually easy. Like it's something that most people can do instead of, you know, instead of eating over an extended period of time, just limiting the hours that you eat, that alone has been shown. And it's just, it's a really nice tool to have. Um, and then I'm just going to like give you a side note, you guys, that my um, grandmother did um, the, she did, she fasted. So in my religion, we do a lot of fasting. It's called Jainism. It's why I, I will, you guys will never see me intermittent, intermittent fast or fast because I did it as a kid. Um, and so you'll never, like, no, no thanks. I'll pass on that one. It's not even like I'll pass and I'll, I'm up for discussion. I'm just not going to fast. Um, and so I, um, my grandmother did it where she did, um, like she fasted for the whole day. And then every other day where the, the second day she ate once a day and she did it for a year. Can you imagine doing that for a whole year? I'm, I just, it's a totally random, it doesn't have any purpose, but I just thought I'd throw it in there that, um, and fasting actually comes from a lot of religions too. There is a lot of um, religions that do fasting and um, it's, what you would say something. Yeah, yeah, no, well, it's just been present in human history for a long time. You know, I think that, that, that it's something that's natural for humans to do. And it's only in the last like 50 years with the food industry and stuff that we've been kind of programmed to think that you need you know, um, all this food all the time, you know, like I, I love the, and, and we learned this through in the CrossFit things, but you know, the, the whole idea of breakfast being the most important meal of the day, which is just hardwired into my brain, but that was actually a great nuts advertising campaign from like the 1940s or 50s. They, they, they invented that and made that up, but you know, I grew up hearing that breakfast and I is love the most important meal of the day. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that, people. I, we went to, we guys, we went to like Paris and um, we went on this like two week vacation and you, none of you guys don't want to hear this, but I had French toast every day. For... <laughs> it's so good though. I, it's so good. <laughs> every other day, that was the only meal she ate every other day. <laughs> it was awful. But it was, this is many years ago prior to me being healthy um, or yesterday. Um, but, so yeah, I just have to share that. 
<laughs> I'm not mad about that. So <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, waffles with wrapped with chicken fingers on the inside of them. <laughs> I did not. I did not. It was just French toast, and it was in Paris, and it was amazing. Um, so, but you know what? Okay, to, to be to, like serious, I get my A1C checked, and I, you know, I do, and I'm. I have reasons why I'm low. I'm, you know, four point seven. And um, I'm, there's a lot of stuff. I, oh, what's your friend time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I couldn't even make something up on that. Um, so um, men, men's Rx or women's <laughs> Rx. <laughs> um, so, but it, it, it keeps kind of you in check. So we all, nobody is going to be perfect and for eating wise. And it wouldn't be fun to be perfect. And so that's why checking your labs helps you have a balance with what works for you in your nutrition and and also staying in a healthy path i mean that makes sense right yeah and i think it, it, having the data is is a tool it's, it's a valuable tool because then you know what you can track your progress i mean similarly like what, what scott was saying with something like fran or, or a, a workout uh, that's one of the reasons why um, crossfit can be so effective is because you have uh, benchmarks that you essentially can track your progress and see uh, how how you're progressing essentially. So that's it's important to have that data. And and I think that that's really reinforcing for for clients when when they start to make changes. You know, we recommend with affiliates when they use the testing is is that really get people to do the testing when people first come in the door because with changes in nutrition and activity. Uh, your your metabolic markers can make changes really really quickly, so that's pretty reinforcing for for people to continue on the track that they're on because you can't necessarily see oh my metabolism is better I can see it on the inside so it's nice to have these tracking numbers but the fact that they correct so quickly you're gonna have you're gonna have a clean metabolic panel a lot quicker than you're gonna have a good fran time and and so it's really you know another reinforcement for people to stay on the track. Absolutely. And so guys, um, I want to take a minute here to change direction. I love everything that you've been doing. People need to track their markers, find out if you're unhealthy, find out what intervention you can do, reach out to a coach. Um, it's just something that's so easy to do and it's so cheap. Why not just do it? Something that can have a huge benefit for you. But what I want to talk about is um, Shaka and Scott, I met you guys through CrossFit Health, right? And so did Amy. Um, and CrossFit, you know, things have been crazy uh, in the last, you know, few weeks here. So I want to talk a little bit about CrossFit Health and the direction that we're going and um, hoping that you guys had some insight that you could share with us. Well, I don't know if Scott has any. I don't, I wouldn't say insight as well as um, sort of an opinion. Yeah. I, I listened to the podcast today between uh, Dave and the new owner slash CEO, Eric. Um, and, um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see that or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but I think that, you know, uh, I'm really optimistic, you know, um, that, you know, the direction that CrossFit's going to go on and is to be very inclusive of, of, you know, you know, all, all people, you know, from, from, you know, full support for the games athletes in the CrossFit games to, you know, Eric alluded to reaching to, you know, populations of people that don't even cross it yet um, or, or, or don't, aren't even really aware of it. And a big part of that would be, you know, people with chronic disease um, and, and, and people that may have some fear of walking in the door because you can't even do 
one pull up or something. And, 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 you know, I, I think that our role as physicians is, is going to be, you know, and I, and I, I've recommended that, you know, I, I, one of my side jobs is I, I do a ketamine clinic with the psychiatrist where we work with people with, with, um, you know, depression. And one of the patients that I was taking care of today, you know, his, you know, blood, ketamine elevates your blood pressure a little bit. In his case, it elevated it, you know, pretty significantly um, from, from a baseline that's of normal pressures, but it goes up pretty quickly. And he's, he's probably six, four, but he's like 260 pounds. You know, I asked him what he did for exercise and he just pointed to his belly and I asked him what he did for nutrition. And he just pointed to his belly. So there's no activity at all. So he got my, he got my dumbed down nutritional lecture that you guys got about the, you know, two to three meals a day, 12 hour window, whole foods. Um, but then I, I really push people to get involved in, in CrossFit. Um, because I, I feel, um, the sense of community that you get out of it is, is, you know, something that you can't get out of any other type of uh, fitness thing, even, even other types of fitness programs that kind of are, are like a scheduled program class you go to. Um, there's not that same sense of community where people are, you know, um, hanging out kind of before and after because the facilities, you know, exist within CrossFit that, that people can kind of linger a little bit. Um, and, and so I'm pretty confident that, you know, there's enough of a foundation with CrossFit physicians that we'll be able to move things forward. And, and I think it's going to be, you know, a little bit of piecemeal here and there initially, but, but hopefully the, you know, concept of affiliates becoming the go-to place for health over the next decade will, 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 you know, grow exponentially. So I actually agree. I think that we'll cross for health will continue um, and will grow and will um, flourish actually um, because it's, it can't not. And like what it's actually going to look like is going to probably be different than it's looked like to us before. Right. Um, it's going to look different. And as it should, there's going to be a different CEO and a different owner. And that will, um, you know, guide the way things look and, and, and they will look different. But I think that um, CrossFit Health, the foundation has been laid. And now there's, and it's going to look really different in all different ways. It's, but the, the fundamentals are that CrossFit is still, CrossFit is an elegant solution to the world's most vexing problem, right? And we have that solution. So the future will look still, we're not going to, I mean, no CEO is going to come in here and say, we have the solution and we're going to take it out of health. Now we're just going to focus on fitness. No one's going to say that. And that's not going to happen. What it's going to happen is it's going to continue. And, um, you know, I was, um, actually on, um, a zoom call this morning where, um, Eric spoke and Dave as well. I don't know if it was the same one that they played, but it was, um, it was, you know, and he did say that he, that, that he wants to reach, um, people that haven't, um, come to CrossFit yet. And who, who would that look like? He didn't say this. Who would it look like? It would look like the people that need to get healthy, right? It's people that want to look a little bit more fit or be a little bit more fit or be stronger have probably found it. Um, there's still people to find, but the, the greatest population that needs to be to, to reach is the ones who want to be healthy. 
Um, that's the most, that's the biggest number anyways. It's also a very diverse population. If you want to look at where, where um, efforts need to be made, it's, um, it is very diverse. There's also um, a significant number of underserved as well in this population. So it's a really good place to be. And I think we have the foundation for it. And now it's just a matter of what exactly it looks like. And as Scott said, it's going to end up taking time. It's going to take a little bit of time. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure that the company is going through so many changes that that's not going to be on day one. Okay, you guys, this is exactly what it's going to look like. Da, da, one, two, three. No. But, you know, we've seen a lot of um, comments on our um, Facebook position site. And, you know, I think the conversations are awesome. Um, I, I do think, though, that together we we build what we want to build. And what I'd like to see is a positive, um, constructive um, environment where we continue to make positive changes with the foundation that's been laid and then what we're gonna do with it. Um, even including, honestly, like you guys do in this podcast. You, nobody, you, don't, you don't have to go to somebody to say, oh, can we do a podcast? But no, you're doing it, you're doing it. This, I would like to say, is a direct um, result of CrossFit Health where the two of you met, you've, you're really helping spread the message and spread the word to other physicians and listeners. We're, you're, you're doing this podcast right now. This is, it's in action. And so that's one of the ways. There's going to be a whole lot of different ways that it's going to look, but there's a lot of where I think, I personally think that the foundation has been laid and there is a lot of future for it and um, bigger and brighter than anyone can ever imagine. So that's really what I and think. Eric, Eric made a point in the podcast that one of the highlights of his life was his mom who subsequently passed, but she was in her mid nineties at the time and she just started doing CrossFit. But when she, she got a hundred pound deadlift and she was ecstatic. I'd be know? ecstatic. And, 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 <laughs> and, you know, so, and, and he's been an affiliate owner for 10 years. Um, so, so he's seen transformations within the box um, and within, within his own experience. Um, you know, but, but the, another point I'd like to make is that, you know, the healthcare system and physicians, we're not set up. It's just not logistically possible for us to get people healthy as, as Amy referenced. I mean, how do you have time to even have a basic nutritional conversation with somebody, nevertheless, see them five days a week and follow them and, and check up on them. But within the box, you know, you know, people are going to come in, they're going to work out, you're going to see them progress. And then you slowly, you know, approach them, what are you eating? How are you eating? You know, those things can be sort of fit in together. And so there's really no better venue, in my opinion, than, you know, uh, CrossFit for people to gain, you know, true, you know, health and fitness. And some of those people may go on to be you know, the mega stars that are games athletes, but most people are going to go to, you know, reduce their blood pressure, reduce their weight, uh, you know, reverse their diabetes and live for 20, 30 years longer, a much happier, healthier person in life. No, well, the box is where our recommendations become habits. And right. that's really the key to change is making those things happen. Um, and that's the role they serve. Yeah. And remember, um, we, they're, one of the big topics has been, you know, um, being inclusive and CrossFit is inclusive. And one of the ways it's inclusive is we're not, it's not exclusive to have games or health, right? 
It's all of it. We're looking at games athletes and there's no reason that the focus needs to, you know, it's, it's so funny how people like try and like, um, they'll say, okay, is it going to be about games or is it going to be about health? It's going to be about both. They're both inclusive within the CrossFit community. And so it really needs to focus on all of it as it does. Right. And so that, that's really the key. And then that, and then people keep asking, not, uh, not you guys, but you know, what, okay, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen is what you're doing with it. And that's why I'm like so proud of you guys. And you look at, you know, Tom and Ken who've started their own box and you look at just so many different people doing things. That's what CrossFit Health is. Greg gave that to us. He gave us the foundation. He really did. He held our hands. He showed us what, what we opened our eyes. He opened so many of our eyes as to, you know, what we can do. And now we're doing it. So CrossFit Health is alive and well. I want to talk about, yeah, I, I totally agree with all this and what, you know, kind of CrossFit Health means to me because we're sitting here having a conversation and, and Scott and Shaka, I could talk to you guys literally for just days and days about, you know, <laughs> Um, but it's literally, these are the conversations that we have when we go to these, you know, these DDC meetings or when we all get together, it's just finding people. And, you know, you guys are working with pediatric patients and you have all this insight into what's going on, right? And you're able to tell me that. And then I can go back and I can use that to help my patients. And I think, you know, that's what it is. It's all of us using this information as a collective, you know, for primary pre prevention to help our patients. And I don't see that going away. I mean, it's just something that we all love and we're passionate about and we're going to do anyways. It's not going away. It's not going away. And remember, you know, of all, it's it, great that you brought that up, Matt. Like when we got together in all the DDCs, we didn't sit there and Greg told us what to do. He put us in a room together, right? And step back and let us all talk to each other. Right. And, and that's what CrossFit Health is not going away. There, it's not going away. What will it look like within the company and within a new CEO? Well, of course, it's going to take time to see what that exactly looks like. But we, clearly, Scott and I both believe that it's going to just continue to be an extremely important part of CrossFit for, for all these reasons. And while everyone's trying to figure out what that looks like, it's going to look like what it looks like, what you want it to look like, what you just said. You're making it happen. I do have a concern, though, in the sense that, like, as we were saying this, that um, we were all in the same room at the same time, and we were put there, I mean, essentially by Greg. Um, it, was, it, it was Greg's money. It was his influence. It was his passion that was the sort of the, the spark. Um, you know, he, he essentially gave us the, the, the space to meet and the, the times and place to do it. And you know, now that he's no longer sort of steering the ship, um, what, what becomes of those opportunities? Do they still exist? Especially if I, I don't know the, the new CEO, I don't know what his priorities are. I don't know what he, what his interests are. I mean, part of this was Greg kind of forming a think tank of people who he felt were doing interesting things, you know, and I don't know if this is a priority of of, of the new CEO. And I don't know if there'll be opportunities for us to do these things again. I don't, anyone, no, no one really knows, but um, that is a concern as far as we can continue to talk amongst ourselves online and have these interactions. But, you know, I could count on being at the games every year uh, 
seeing all of your faces and having access to people and things that normally I wouldn't have access to. Um, because in the years prior to that, it was only elite athletes and coaches who were able to have that access. And, and, you know, it was, it was a pretty bold decision on Greg's part to, to put physicians at, at sort of the forefront of a, of an athletic group. Uh, you know, that's like the commissioner of the NBA, like saying, well, enough with the players, what are the, the team docs doing? Um, and that's, that doesn't happen every day. And, and that's a pretty unique situation. So at the same time, I, I think we'll, we'll all continue to, to kind of fight the good fight in, in a way and then have these conversations, but I, I, I'm concerned, but hopeful that we will still have the ability to convene and, and talk in person and, and discuss, you know, ways that we can all find out about what the other person's doing and bring new people in at the same time. So I think uh, we will. Amy, I think we will, because I think that um, the, the progress with CrossFit, um, there's going to be so many different levels and the games is definitely um, there. But when you look at overall as a company, when you look at overall as a company, the progress and the growth really is going to happen in that health space, because that's where again, 70% plus 90% of 90% of, you know, healthcare dollars are spent with chronic disease. This is where the numbers are. So forget about like what we've done, let's say as CrossFit and let's say as CrossFit Health, any person coming into a business looks at it would, would be, they would be um, mistaken to not look at the value of what CrossFit Health is doing. Right. Even if you don't even look at it as a we're saving the world, right, where if we look at it with that we're saving the world. But if you don't look at that and if you look at dollars and if you look at numbers, you have to invest in CrossFit Health. Right. That is a part of the company. The games there has there, there's that extreme value. There's I mean, we could talk about it, what what that brings to CrossFit, which is amazing. Right. Um, but what CrossFit Health also brings is so much value to expansion to the reach to so many people. And so there's different layers of it, but because of that, CrossFit Health is gonna absolutely continue as a part of CrossFit. There's, you, you couldn't come in and not see the value of that. And so that will continue. Now what it looks like in terms of, are we still gonna get together you know, five times a year? Um, what matters to me is, like you said, that we do get together, that we have ways, you know, the CME just started and that's going to, they're not gonna start CME and then not do CME, right? And so, CME is an, I mean, it's just an excellent, um, it's just a, a really valid thing, right? And so it's, it's a really good part. There, there would be no reason to get rid of something like that that's going to bring added value. So even as a, in a business aspect, you wouldn't want to get rid of it. And, and, and this kind of brings it back to everything to do. I mean, Shaka, you know, she referred to the fact that 90% of our healthcare dollars are spent on chronic disease. And you know, 70% of deaths in this country are due to chronic disease, which as we talked about earlier, are both preventable and reversible. You know, when you look at something, you know, like what we're going through with COVID right now, um, I'm, I would be interested to see how many true active CrossFitters that weren't like a healthcare worker who had a massive viral load put on their body, you know, got seriously ill from COVID. And I'll bet the numbers are pretty close to, if not zero. Um, fit people don't die of either, you know, it's, Greg talked about on his, you know, lecture with the uh, continuum, people, you know, the, the, the sick, well-fit continuum, the further out you are, the more protected you are, both from chronic disease, as well as from having a serious, a serious, you know, uh, outcome 
from, from an acute illness. It becomes an inconvenience in your life rather than something that's life-threatening. Um, and, and, you know, those are, are huge motivators to get people into CrossFit and, and to expand what can be offered through CrossFit Health and, and you know, working. You know, I, I think an area that CrossFit Health can be improved is, is communication and, and working between the knowledge that we have as physicians and trainers and the knowledge that they have as trainers. And Greg was doing that a, a little bit on our side of the fence by having us as physicians go through the L1 training. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of, of cross education that can still take place with educating our, our trainers a little bit more about the knowledge that we have as physicians. We all talked about that. Remember like a, a year ago where we were putting together um, uh, training for um, affiliates. So there's so much, there's so much more that we can do. Um, but again, I, I, a hundred percent think that CrossFit health is, um, going to, um, continue and it's going to thrive and what exactly it looks like. I don't know, but I think that, um, it just, for, for every different aspect of it, it, it there's no reason why it wouldn't. I mean, you can, you don't, you yeah. can't come into a company and not see the value of whether it's again, the value for the community, but even as a, as a business person, the value financially, it's yeah, so much yeah. more to be had here. Also, he did, um, the new CEO did speak about wanting to, um, you know, be more inclusive and diverse and certainly in the health space, uh, you know, the burden of chronic disease disproportionately affects minority communities and, and what yes. a, a better way to, there's, there's really no better way to decrease the, or reduce the health disparities that exist than by um, trying to help the, the burden of chronic disease in these communities. So um, CrossFit's a way to do that. So I think for in that, in that way also, CrossFit Health can serve to kind of further carry on that message. I sat with, so Greg has already, you know, laid the foundation for um, that. And I've sat with, um, with some of some affiliates over the last six months where um, when Greg was meeting with some of them to start some foundation for developing some of um, boxes in certain underserved populations. And I, I just can't imagine someone coming into this space and saying, you know what, I don't really want to continue that. I mean, I'll tell you just what, from what I've seen, it seems that he would come in and just, you know, just be happy to continue that, if not expand on that. So, I mean, there's nothing, the, everything's telling me that he would come in and just see such the value for that and what the CrossFit community is asking for is exactly that, right? Boxes to help the underserved and boxes which would be helping, you know, with chronic disease is going to be helping the underserved. Um, just like you mentioned. All right, guys, this was a great episode. We talked about a lot of super important information you can share with your patients. Uh, check out the Warrior Clinic. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, check out these new articles we talked about. They're awesome. Um, like I said, I could talk with Shaka and Scott all day. So check them out. Thanks for listening. As always, hit us up um, on Instagram at Docs in the Box. Email us at Docs in the Box 2017 at gmail.com um, if you're interested or have some suggestions for the show. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Amy. Thank you.